Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk. I'm Forrest Collins, founder of the 52 Martinis Cocktail Site, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the French capital and bring you other small batch food and drink news from France. So, you know, travel possibilities are down because obviously we're all fully aware that it's it's COVID, COVID, COVID at the moment. Um, so people can't really travel. I think a lot of people are sort of looking for ways to armchair travel. And also a lot of my friends here in France, and I know in other countries as well, that are in um, food and drink and tourism, they've had to make some changes to their business. Uh, so, you know, I think some of them are doing more online offerings and that kind of gives people an opportunity to, you know, travel a bit from their armchair. So I wanted to talk to somebody about this. So I'm really happy because I have my friend Jane here in the, well, not in the studio, but we're talking to each other, whoever on the, the show. And um, Jane is the owner of La Cuisine Paris, which is a cooking school here. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a minute um, to give more detail on that. But she's going to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to run a cooking school here and um, and also especially during a pandemic. So, Jane, I'm really I'm doubly upset with COVID right now because if I wasn't confined in the countryside, we'd be doing this interview in person and I would get to be like, you know, hanging out with you. So, I mean, it's lovely to hear your voice, but I'm really bummed that we're not, you know, chatting face to face and being able to go have a cocktail afterwards. So anyway, welcome. Well, thank you, Forrest. I'm really, as as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, you said have a cocktail afterwards and I was uh, imagining we're going to have cocktails during the discussion. Oh, even so, better. That's so, why yes, we're friends. Exactly. But, you know, hence is 2020. We we do what we can with what we have. So Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, it's all we can do. So why don't you, you know, and a lot of people in Paris are familiar already with La Cuisine Paris, but why don't you tell the listeners who aren't a little bit about what it is? Okay, sure. So La Cuisine Paris, we are a cooking school um, in the fourth arrondissement. And basically our specialty is um, providing French culinary experiences in English. So that's very much in the visitor market. Um, And we've been doing that for 11 years now. Yeah, you guys have been around for a while. Um, You also do some other events too, don't you? I know you do book signings there sometimes and, um, and do, are you, Well, you're probably not now, but traditionally you also have tours also in your offerings, don't you? Absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, I guess our bread and butter is uh, cooking classes, but we try to respond to anything that clients want. And they're often, um, you know, have varied interests and those change year to year. So we do absolutely do food tours. Those were, we probably added on about six years ago because we saw an interest in that. And uh, so that's, that's continued to grow. And outside of those kind of core activities, we like to have fun and, and we love other people in the food industry. So, you know, we try to have special events, like you said, book signings, et cetera, et cetera. Very cool. For listeners who are not familiar with it, it's a great space, uh, the cooking school. And uh, I'll put links to, obviously, I'll put links to the website, et cetera, in the show notes. So you can go take a look and, and see what it's all about. Um, so you kind of touched on this a little bit already. But um, so it sounds like your clientele is more tourists. Do you have any, you know, do you also get any like locals, um, either expats or English speaking French people, or is it predominantly visitors to France? So I'd say that's, it's probably um, 90% are visitors to France. 
we do get the local market, but it's very sensitive in terms of time of year. Um, our locals want to be outside picnicking and not cooking <laughs> during yeah, the summer. So, so they've got a different interest level. And we certainly tend to only get them on the weekends because they're, they're working midweek. So we do get them um, and they're wonderful, loyal clients as well. We just see them on different occasions and at different times of the year. Very good. Um, I know that there's there's got to be some challenges to starting. Well, just right off the bat, there's going to be challenges to starting a business. Challenges, you know, extra challenges for starting a business in France. But you obviously are also a woman and a non-French person. So can you talk to me a little bit about the challenges around launching the school and and especially a school that this isn't even just a business, but you are a business who is a business who's specializing in French specialties. So um, what kind of, I don't know, I guess, blowback did you get or challenges did you face? Whoa, this is such a juicy <laughs> question. Yay. This needs like, th this definitely needs the cocktail oh. and perhaps like a 10 hour discussion. So a dedicated um, show. <laughs> exactly. So um, let me try to unpackage that in a way that's not overly boring because in 11 years of business, and I don't want to see, say I've seen everything, um, but I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm also a career changer. I was in Paris for other reasons prior to starting the business um, and I was working in banking and then decided I wanted to do something else. And, you know, the, the word entrepreneur is is a French word, um, so, so you like to assume that there will be less hurdles into uh, getting into starting a business here, but you certainly have a very protective social structure, which is super important, but that uh, does have heavy implications on businesses. So, you know, not to get into the, the admin part of things, but you do want to tread carefully if you are looking to start a business. And then you have the fun things on the side of that, which is... Um, you know, the French are specialists at heart. They love to be subject matter specialists. You can see that, you know, a baker is a baker and he'll always be a baker. A butcher is a butcher. Uh, a banker is a banker. So when you have a metier, so to speak, and then you try to change to do something else, you've really lost a lot of your ammunition and credibility because this is the land of the artisan is the specialist. So trying to get over that cultural hurdle of a person in banking who happens to be an Anglophone saw that it could be a wonderful opportunity to have a business here where you bring people together to speak a common language, which is food, did certainly have its, um, its hurdles. And the early days were very much in trying to prove who we are and what we could do in, in the industry and to do that respectfully and not come in like um, a bull in a china shop. Um, does that? Yeah, no, no, I, I just, I, I didn't want to jump in because I know there's a lot to say here. So I was kind of like, oh, wait, don't interrupt. But I really, I just wanted to say, you're so right about this, this thing about specialization in France. And it's not even just you're a specialized baker or you're a specialized butcher, right? Like you're a specialized horse butcher or other kind of meat, right? right or you're right, like right. bakers aren't just bakers. They specialize in pâtisserie or viennoiserie or, you know, certain things like, you know, I've heard there's three different kinds of specialties. So it's hard to get, you don't always, and, and um, the bakeries here, you don't always get a good baguette in the same place that you'll get a good croissant because they're two different kinds of baking. So, exactly. Um, exactly. so yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy how, 
um, not crazy. I mean, I guess it's, it's commendable how people want to specialize, but it makes it definitely very challenging and, and to, to change, change your position. And also I think it's very difficult for Anglos to understand because I think, you know, I know coming from the U S and I imagine, um, people coming from certain other English speaking countries were just like, Hey, I can do whatever I want. I'm going to reinvent myself, you know, at 50 or whatever. So all very, very interesting. Um, I also think that you have some thoughts on as being in business as a woman, like how that affects decision making. Can you share some of those with the with the listeners? Yeah. So you know, I've really thought about this a lot because um, it's such an important subject. It's always been an important subject to be a small business person, um, regardless of your gender, because small businesses are the backbone to any community. Um, so. I would like to imagine that we all have our cultural differences and I'm very much influenced by my family and where I come from and my background, but I'm also influenced because, you know, perhaps because of my gender. Um, and some of the things that, and I don't want to broad sweep because we're all so different, but some of the things that I've noticed about my decision-making say with some of my, um, my male colleagues could be just an approach in how I handle things. Um, you know, there's positives of that. And I've also seen um, an element of it where, uh, you know, sometimes I find myself a bit slower in to react to things because maybe I don't necessarily have the confidence to to push forward. Um, and all small businesses lose their confidence at some point if you're trying to launch a new product or you're trying to get your name in the market. Um, so that's, I, I think that's a dynamic that I've seen at play with a number of women in small businesses. And again, I don't want to broad blanket, but that's, that's something that I think we can be plagued with once in a while is confidence. Uh, yeah, I do agree. I mean, you know, I do a lot of events that I do, um, you know, again, I also can't blanket across, you know, every industry, but I do a lot of events that are related to cocktail and spirits and, you know, it's a very male dominated industry. And, you know, I've been on tasting panels, uh, where we're kind of, uh, where we're judging spirits, uh, for different spirits awards. And there have been times when I have been the only one in the room that had a particular opinion, you know, a positive opinion or a negative opinion on something. And I've been, you know, I've felt, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, voice that um and I don't know if it is sort of a one having to do with being a woman or just you know it's always hard to be the one dissenting voice but um but I do think it, it is a little bit it, there can be confidence issues so I think yeah. that yeah um it's it's worth it's worth noting and talking about um something else I want to talk about and I know we talked about it a little bit just when we're emailing back and forth to get ready for the show but I also I'm sure we've talked about it in person is what it really means to work in hospitality and this idea that the we're actually in your words, the experience economy. So um, let's talk about that and what you think that means in terms of La Cuisine and the cooking school and what it is, the product that you're really delivering. Okay, great. This actually, I did a talk not too long ago to some students and I found it really fascinating because I I showed them our website and I talked about what we did and I did not specifically say cooking classes because I don't believe that we do cooking classes anymore. Um, and I asked them what their opinion was of what I thought my business did given everything I'd explained to them. Ooh, and the first, yeah. And, and the first thing one of them said was um, your, 
your product is memories. And I was just super pleased because that's what I believe I sell are souvenirs in the French sense of the term, which are memories. And of course, in the American sense of the term, they're takeaway little gifts. But, you know, so I, I love that play on word. So when you look at the experience economy and, um, you know, we, we, we've become so much a society focused on packaging and um, that just permeates into everything, you know, in like the big reveal if you're opening your new iPhone box or, you know, you, you get a box of cocktails delivered and they've got all sorts of bells and whistles. So everything is the experience and the product sometimes becomes secondary, I find. And in hospitality, uh, particularly, I think in my case, where I'm dealing with something super precious to people, this is a, a lifetime memory and I have to try my hardest to deliver it the best I can. You know, for a lot of families, this is a dream trip. They've planned for years, they've gotten their passports, they finally got here, and I have to have them come in and go out of my doors thinking that this is one of the best moments they've had. I've got no choice but to do that. So it does put, I think, a lot of pressure on the hospitality industry especially those that want to be very thoughtful in delivering a service to their clients on how they do that right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important to remember. And I think sometimes it's challenging to remember for those of us who live and work here and we're very familiar with with the reality of France versus sort of the the vacation of France. Oh, so, God, yeah. um, so I imagine it's sometimes challenging, but it is, it is exactly what you need to deliver. So I don't think that, you know, I can absolutely reconcile those two things too, with the fact that, you know, it may not be fully reality, but it's absolutely what you should be delivering because nobody wants to go on holiday for yeah. reality. If they wanted reality, they'd stay, stay at home and work their boring jobs and, you know, eat their takeout and call it a day. So listen, <laughs> Listen, I have I have had my day, you know, I'm human too. I've had my days where, you know, a wonderful client has come in <laughs> saying how fabulous it was that they've seen a parade and blah, 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 and how beautiful. And I know that that was a manifestation. It was not a parade, right? <laughs> That's a protest for those, it was a those protest. of you who don't, yeah, a manifest, yeah, it's because we, Paris is full of protests all the but, time. But you know, be the one to tell them there's no Santa Claus. So yes. I'm like, you know, okay, great for you. You saw a parade and how beautiful that you can look at it that way. So, hey. Yeah, I think though, I, I fully um, support them seeing a parade because, you know, I was just thinking about this actually today thinking, you know, so much is just about adjustments of um, perception, right? You know, and and so much of how you feel and you take in the world really has a lot to do with how 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 you frame it in your own mind. So let's all see some parades. I mean, it's been a tough year, right? So I know. let's let's try to focus on the parade and not the protest. Exactly. Um, anyway, I'm sure there's been some very interesting and funny stories. Um, so we are, uh, you know, as has been mentioned many times, we are in the middle of a pandemic. And uh, in France, we've had a few lockdowns. We are in the middle of a, you know, our second lockdown. Um, hopefully the middle, hopefully we're coming out soon of the other, at the other side, I guess we'll see. But, um, but it's made, I've seen so many people changing their, their business plans and first of all, pivoting. So I think you have some feelings on the word pivot, which I'm very <laughs> excited to hear. <laughs> and, um, and so let's start with that. Tell me how you feel about that. 
<laughs> so, you know, I know we love to latch on to stuff and pivot is such, it's like the word of the day, you know, and I, and well, you and I have talked about this. I guess my, my frustration with the word is I've seen it as more panicking than pivoting and I've kind of gotten sick of it. Um, you know, and I think we've lost sense of, um, sometimes and, and understandably when we're facing situations that nobody can even have visibility on that we've never, there, there's no playbook for this, you know, we're all trying to figure our way forward. And so I see the, the, um, anxiety and I see the rush to change. Um, I just, you know, I hope we can take a moment to stop and pause and be thoughtful and really think, does that change fit our business values? Does it fit our clients? Um, and try to create something that is evergreen, that's an add-on to what you already have, rather than just a band-aid for what is really a gunshot at this point. So, um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I saw a lot of this because, well, first of all, we have a lot of friends who work in tourism, food, right. drink, right. that kind of thing that, that was really heavily affected by this. And um, I did, for listeners who might not know, I did a series of interviews with people in the food and drink industry during our first, you know, right in, in March and April, um, during the first confinements here in France to see how they were affected. So I just heard a lot of stories about how people were affected and then what they were doing as a result. And I saw just a lot of things that were a little panicky, as you said. What I've been appreciating now is I think that people have had some time to reflect and some people have had some time to develop some interesting offers. And I know I was already talking to you about this yesterday, but I wasn't talking to the listeners. There's things like I'm very excited because um, Kate Hill, who wrote the book on Cassoulet and has Camp Cassoulet in Gascony, she is, um, you know, her classes, her in-person classes, which is what she did before, look amazing, but they're very expensive. And also you have to travel there. So now she's right. doing these online classes. And so I'm super excited that, you know, I get to do one of her cassoulet classes and I can do it from the comfort of my home. I know there's pros and cons and I also like to be in there and like, you know, feel and touch everything. But, um, but I think it, this is not just a, a quick, that's, that kind of thing is not just a quick fix for me. It's like, Hey, this is like a really valid, um, alternative offering for me, not Absolutely. just something that's being done because, but you know, that's not all the cases, I, but I do feel like there are definitely some things that are coming up now that I feel like I'm willing to pay for that. This person's had some time to develop something and, and it's, it's worthwhile. So, you know, maybe tiny silver linings with all of this. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm right with you. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, so what kind of things have you done with La Cuisine to uh, to address this? I mean, obviously, you've got no, I mean, uh, classes have come to a, to a standing halt. So what have you been doing? Okay, so I, I have to be the first to say we really did nothing um, through all of confinement, but continue with what our first value is, which is always communicate with our clients and have a sense of community. So that never changed for us, you know, and that's active and on, on Instagram, trying to share, trying to keep people thinking positively at a time that's kind of dark. So we did that. Um, then we decided we wanted to do something that was an add on product that could work under these current uh, circumstances. So we decided to do six uh, set video classes that I think are appropriate for, are, are not, sorry, not appropriate for Zoom type experiences because they're pretty long and they take a bit of time. So we did that. Then I listened to clients, which is what you do as a business. And we heard them saying, we like that, but we'd also love to interact with some of the teachers. 
So the first time we actually did a Zoom class live was in August. Um, and we only did a few of them because I was very conscious of, you know, it's nice to add on another product, but you really want to do it in a way that your current client base understands it and appreciates it and it reflects you. And it's really hard to do that on Zoom. So I did that very cautiously. Um, and we're doing a few of those here and there. Um, so that's kind of us. But the other thing that was super important to me is making sure that the other small businesses we work with uh, have some sort of support and, uh, you know, and, and that's mutual. So we uh, went to go see Mr. DeHilleran and we're working with him on uh, helping to boost his product sales in, in a way that suits our clients. And they're super happy, as are we, to keep them busy. We're working with some of our colleagues in wine to send wine. So we looked at us, but then we also tried to say, OK, who else in the community do we work with that could also use a little push? Because when you partner together, you know, it's, it's mutually beneficial to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love those partnerships that you've been doing. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, I'm just, it's Paris Wine Company that you're partnering with for the exactly. shipping the wine. Yeah, exactly. so um, I uh, I will put links to any information on that in the show notes so people can go and take a look because, um, yeah, I'm very, you know, very supportive of anybody who is supporting local businesses. Let's, uh, let's kind of try to keep everybody afloat as much as we can. So for sure. Um, is there anything else? I mean, I've touched on like some very large, broad topics, but anything else that comes to mind that you want to share about what it's like to have a cooking school here in France? I mean, it's kind of the stuff of fantasies for many Americans. I, I know. Um, how do you how do you feel about that? I mean, is there, there kind of more to, to share with these people who want your life? So I would always say um you know, I am super blessed. I'm super blessed to have the circumstances that I do in that I have dinner parties probably six days of the week via my clients, because when they come in, they're so happy, they're so enthusiastic. So it's really a blessing to have those types of people around you. Um, I'll also temper that with if, you know, having a small business is incredibly hard um, and it is really time consuming. And when you're a small business owner, that means everything from setting the strategy, as sexy as that sounds, to double checking that there's fresh toilet paper in the toilet. So, you know, there, it sounds even sexier. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I, I always try to. Um, you know, again, we all have different circumstances. I'm super lucky with what I have. Um, but there are days and weeks, and I can tell you this this year, which we've lost 90%, probably 95% of our of our revenue, and we're holding on. Um, it's, it's not a great time. So, you know, but there's pluses and minuses, and we try to focus on the things that we're grateful for, so... Well, good. I mean, you know, I think that it's good to have this positive attitude and, um, and I expect nothing less from you. Well, I mean, I expect that we can have some snarky little attitude about other yes. things, but <laughs> I think in general and in life, I think that, yeah, it, it's all that we can do. I mean, if we can keep our head above water and kind of keep moving forward. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to tell the listeners about you also have, uh, you know, I was kind of, as we've been talking, I've been thinking, it's like, uh, you always know great places to go and, and good things to do in Paris. So um, just for the listeners information, you have a newsletter. So um, how often does the newsletter come out? And how do you find things to put in that newsletter? Because you're always interviewing, you've got little blurbs on cool people and restaurants and stuff like that. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay, so that newsletter comes out the first of the month. 
Um, and somehow every month it surprises me because it's like, you know, 10 days before I have to get it out and I'm still working on it. Um, you know, I just try to keep my ear to the ground and I listen to those around me. I mean, you know, that we have this wonderful world called the internet. So, you know, I can see what you're talking about on Instagram. I can see what David's talking about. I can go into a little um, rabbit hole of finding out what's that new place or, you know, what's the new cocktail service or um, so it's Really just keeping it keeping an ear to the ground and trying to share things with with our readers that they'll find you know interesting and topical yeah well I highly recommend that you know people that enjoy that live in Paris or people that enjoy reading about Paris go and subscribe um, yeah I think that you do a great job with it and I know it's a lot of work and uh, I know newsletters are in general which is why I have either a minimal one or none at all which is usually the case so I also think we're really lucky in terms of kind of keeping an eye on what's going on it you know we're really lucky with the network of sort of food and drink-minded people Absolutely. that we have in hospitality yeah. so yeah. to give a shout out to all those people that we know are a great network in Paris um, now the very funnest part of the episode, well, it would only be more fun if we were actually making it right now, um, is the cocktail of the month. And do, 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 we have you delivering our cocktail of the month. So would you like to share with the listeners what you would like to be drinking or you might be drinking later on tonight and give them the recipe? Okay, so I would love to be drinking a dirty martini. Um that's one of my favorite drinks and I seem to have found somewhere that it is the I'd love to find this online again now I can't but it's the drink of Capricorns did I find yes this? I'll help you I'll try Am to help I you find that because you know you tagged me in and I was like oh martini how perfect um, so I'd love, okay, in terms of recipe, now I have to be the first to say I've got so many wonderful cocktail people in my life. One of them most importantly being Forrest Collins that I would always <laughs> defer to her recipe, but I love a gin cocktail. So I guess, um, should I give like a direct, I mean, I don't have a direct one, but gin, That's all right. a bit of dry vermouth, and I love lots and lots and lots of salty olive juice in there. I think that's a that's a fine that's a fine recipe and I think that the thing about martinis is people get so personal about their proportion of vermouth to um, gin. So for example, me, I like about one part uh, one part vermouth to about four or five parts gin. Other people like it a little bit more one to two. So I think it's something that people can play around with and uh, and also the same with the with you know with the um, the olive brine that you put in there. You can play around with it until you kind of hit the hit the sweet spot on the proportions. So, um, so yes, I think that that is a very apt cocktail to be talking about right now. I mean, you know, I love my martinis, and I'd love um, to have one with you right now. I so know. So we'll have it virtually. I know. Well, yeah, we'll get we'll get we'll get another little virtual chat going soon. Um, so thank you for joining us today and sharing some of your knowledge about cooking schools and your experiences with our readers and uh or with our listeners and so um well it's been a long day um so for the listeners if you would like more cocktail and drinks talk in between shows you can head over to the 52 martinis site that's 52martinis.com if you want to carry me around in your pocket you can download our ios app paris cocktails it's a guide to uh, paris cocktail bars as always thank you to today's guest and thank you to you listeners for tuning in or downloading additional thanks to world radio paris for editing and production, 
and Sun Little for our music. I'll put a link to that into the show notes as well. And until next time, cheers. Shine a light, taking a close off it, break my mind.